0: Muchas gracias, Emma. Hola, me llamo Giovanni Garces, Buenas tardes. oh, I'm sorry, wrong church. Hey guys, it's great to be together. My name is Gio Garces. I hail from the Shoreline Ministry. I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Shoreline, as we call it over there in Oxnard. Um, it's great to be back. It's, I feel like Stan Lee in the Marvel movies, you know, you make a little cameo appearance here and there. This is fantastic. I get to see everybody's faces. Joe's going to be preaching at 4 o'clock in Shoreline so I don't die today. Thank you, Joe. That's awesome. If you haven't heard, today's our special missions contribution. It's a very big day to the international uh, churches out there. I just was at a board meeting last few days about the special missions, and uh, we added two new churches to our, our alliance. It's normally Milwaukee, Animal Valley, Lifeway Church. Uh, Shoreline Simi, and we added the Tacoma Church, and we added the Spokane Church to our, uh, you know, our giving contribution, and it's been exciting to have them, so big thank you to all of you. Um, I'm doing a little series on Mission Love, or Mission Amor, however you want to say it. Yeah. It's totally free to say it that way, Mission Amor, Mission Love. You know, we've been, we've been really changing our culture in church, and really trying to love people. And, and really be like Jesus in many ways, not with an agenda or an expectation, but to really love them in hopes that they will see the Savior in us. Yeah. They'll see Jesus in us, and therefore want to follow Jesus. And so, I'm doing a little series out of the book of Acts, and it's a great little series. I, in fact, I redid the whole series just two days ago. I, was, I did it in Shoreline, and I was like, you know when God gives you more information or more stuff, you're like, like... That was a terrible sermon three weeks ago. And so, you know, if you're like Joe and I, we've got to get the, you know, put the hood up and start tinkering around and we start changing it, okay? And then we're never happy yeah. with what with, with the final product is because tomorrow I'm going to be enlightened more and going, I should have said that yesterday. That's Joe and I's life. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's full of regret that we didn't say this when we should have. <laughs> it's a regretful life. Um. The book of Acts is, is, a, is a great book, but it's kind of like, it's actually two books. It's actually two volumes. It's Luke, the Gospel, and Acts. Think of it as, um, think of it as a good movie with, when they had the sequel in mind. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and it, they go, it was so good, let's make a sequel, and they mess it up. Okay, Think of it as a very good movie that they had the sequel in mind, like, kind of like the Marvel movie, Infinity They had that movie in mind a long time ago, but you had to watch Doctor Strange. You had to watch Black Panther. And then you kind of understood Infinity Wars. Because I saw it without knowing who Doctor Strange was. I'm like, who is that guy? What's his, what's his, why is he in the movie so much? And so two, uh, two days ago, I saw Doctor, I go, oh, me olvido, I didn't realize. And so it dawned on me. So sometimes we read the book of Acts without really knowing it's connected to the book of Luke. And so sometimes we read the book of Luke without reading the book and understanding it. They're actually one, volume one, volume two. And at the very end of Luke, it overlaps with the beginning of Acts. Right. So there's a little overlap there. So, you know, you think about a scroll. You know, Luke's writing the scroll. He's using scroll technology. There was no Mac. Right. There, was, there was no, you know, there was, there was only papyrus. So he's writing at the end. the end of the scroll and then he's beginning the new volume where he left off so as we look at Luke 24 today that's our that's our text today we're going to look at that passage but just trying to give you a kind of an understanding of the book of acts now here's what's cool i love geography joe and i love maps i don't know why we love maps but we love to show you the holy land the ancient world uh you know it's modern day italy turkey and all that and in syria uh, here is a good map, and the, the book of Acts, actually, in the book of Luke, they actually cover this, you know. In the book of Luke, the crescendo of the ministry of Jesus is about leading Jesus to Jerusalem, and Luke writes that with that in mind. He, he's crescendoing the end of go and be in Jerusalem, because that's where it's all going to happen. He knows that's where Pentecost is going to be. He knows that's where he's going to get crucified. He's going to raise. So the author, Luke, is really setting up, the, the, the church in Jerusalem, which is basically a predominantly Jewish church. And then what happens later on in the book of Acts, in volume 2, he expands it. And now the focus becomes the Gentile world. So it becomes a Jewish volume to a Gentile volume. And the end of the road for Paul in his missionary journey is going to be Rome in the top left the city of Rome, to go to Rome, which ended up becoming the capital of the Gentiles. So Luke is, is, is kind of telling us and showing us historically how God has, has included the Jews and the Gentiles in this amazing narrative of the Christian church. And he's just—he's taking us through. Now, Luke is a historian, so when you read his gospel, he he includes things like censuses and cities and time frames because he wants the people to know this is a historical narrative. He gives you cities and places and people that you're like, who is that? But the the people reading Luke back then knew exactly who these people were. They had a reference to it because what Luke is trying to establish, he's trying to establish a a defense of the gospel. Even though the primary purpose of the book of Acts was the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of Jesus, there's plenty of sub-themes as you read the volume 2, the sequel to the book of Luke. For example, one of the sub-themes is that Luke records a lot of the interactions with the government officials that Paul has. And they're actually pretty good interactions. What he's trying to tell the readers is that, hey, Christianity is not a threat to the Roman Empire. We've had interactions with, with guys like Festus and King Agrippa and Gallio and, and Felix and Festus. And it turned out, well, we're, we're not a threat to the empire. But there's also the geographical, like I mentioned earlier, from Jerusalem to the city of uh, Roman, the city of Rome. But also, what happens with the book of Acts and later on is that there are people that became Jews in Jerusalem who wanted all the Gentiles to become Jews first before they became Christians. Right. And so they thought that Paul, or felt that Paul, was rejecting the law and the Jewish people because he was so adamant about the Gentiles. Well, Luke kind of comes to Paul's defense about this, and he demonstrates repeatedly how Paul offered the gospel to the Jews first, and then he went to the Gentiles. You know, Paul accepted the decision of the Council of Jerusalem, which was a Jewish church. He accepted their final decision. He also circumcised Timothy in, uh, in six, chapter 16. He also performed Jewish vows in chapter 21. He also reminded him, I'm a Pharisee, remember, and a Roman Roman citizen. So, in many ways, as you read the book of Acts, I just wanted to give you some sub-themes as you read it. It's not just the, the work of the church. There's actually other things going on there that Luke does an incredible job of writing for us to really teach everyone in the church how God is moving and working in our lives today. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so the, there's this Luke 24 chapter. You can turn in your Bible there. I'm going to have something on the slide. Um, but it opens up with three women approaching the tomb of Jesus, he had died, and, and they're, going, they're going back there, uh, and they're expecting to anoint him with spices, and, you know, they're all getting ready, and, and the body there is no longer there, and they see two angels who are there, and the angels tell these women, hey, look, he's not here, he's risen, and then the angels even remind the sisters that Jesus said he would be he would do this he would get handed over to sinful men they would crucify him and then he would raise to life he kept telling them that but the women here are now realizing that he's not there and something amazing has happened and so the women then remember what the angel said and they run and tell the apostles the 12 who walked with or the 11 who walked with Jesus and so when the apostles saw that the women were excited the apostles didn't believe him. You know, sometimes women get excited, you know. And if you're a man, you can understand that passage. You're like, I don't share your, your excitement. You know, men are factual. You know, the women are, you know, they tell you stories. I saw Jesus. Yeah, yeah, calm down. What did you really see? And then they say, his tomb was empty. And then Peter, Peter goes, wait a minute. And so Peter runs to the tomb. Now, you got to remember, Peter's last interaction with Jesus was not, his, not in his most defining moment. His last interaction with Jesus was telling a little girl and cursing that I don't know, may God deal with me ever so severely that I don't know this Jesus, and then he looks at him. That's his last moment with Jesus. He's not at the crucifixion, at least there's no record of him being there. So Peter's like, he's back and I, I can only imagine what he's thinking when you're running. Because you're a runner, you're a thinker. I hope he doesn't remember the rooster. I hope he doesn't remember. You know, imagine what's going through his head. And he gets to the tomb. And he sees the empty tomb. There are the sisters with the two angels. And there's Peter. He realizes, wow, he's risen. Now, you got to remember, that's John in, the, John in the background. Now, in the book of John, I don't know why he did this, but in the book of John, John writes, we both ran, but I got there first. <laughs> but in Luke, Peter, goes, Peter actually went inside and checked it out. John was fast. Peter was more you know, curious. So he goes in, and he sees that there are clothes there. It wasn't a grave robber because his clothes were there, and they, he knows something had happened. Now, after this, think of it as a movie. It ends here. And then it reorients you to two guys walking on a road in a, in a, near a village called Emos. And it's kind of random how Luke takes us from here and he goes whoosh, to another. When you watch Infinity Wars, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, you know, Thor ends and all of a sudden whoosh, you're, you're, you're looking at Iron Man. Like, what, Why are we at Iron Man? because he's taking you through with something significant. And there's these two guys on this road, and Luke says one of the guys, his name is Cleopas. Do you know who Cleopas is? I don't know who Cleopas is, but the readers of that time knew who Cleo, is. they're just kind of walking, and Cleopas, according to Eusebius, the historian of the church uh, back in that era, is a tradition that that's the uncle of Jesus brother of Joseph so cleopas he's giving historical he's giving data points you know clea he should, if you want to know this talk to cleopas he's saying if you want to know did jesus resurrect go talk to cleopas right it's a random name for me but if i'm in that living in that time and i'm going to go ask clea hey did i saw the lord right and so these two guys are walking but they don't know or don't realize it's jesus I don't know how that's possible, but for some reason, they just don't know it's Jesus. And so they're walking, and then they're, the Bible describes it as they're exchanging ideas. They're going back and forth, discussing everything. Because Jesus kind of plays dumb, like, what's going on? Devin, you heard? No, not really. What's going on? What's happening? You don't know? No, I'm not sure. This is Jesus going, no, I'm not sure what's going on. So Jesus is having, having a little fun with them. And they start exchanging ideas of what might have happened. And then they, then they come to their house, and, and Jesus was going to go forward, and said, no, no, come on, come on. Have some food with us. So Jesus goes, fine, I will. And so Jesus breaks bread in front of them. These two discouraged, defeated guys who were, who, who, who I'm sure were reminiscing as, was he really the Messiah? Because you know, in Acts 5, Gamaliel describes two other guys who claimed to be messi- you know, Messianic, and they, they died and got killed, and their disciples scattered. Some guy named Thutis and some guy named Judas of Galilee. He, you know, the, could this be the same repeat story? So as Jesus breaks bread, he reveals himself to them. And they're astonished, and then Jesus disappears. He goes, mission love. He restores their faith. And then he disappears. Hashtag mission love. Isn't that what mission love is about? About breaking bread with people and revealing the Christ. Mission love. Hashtag. These guys were excited. And then they, you know, and then it then again. And then the camera switches. It goes from that moment to infinity wars, to another scene. And the scene now, we're going to look at this passage in the Bible together. And this is the scene. While they were still talking about this, these are the, you know, now the, the apostles and everybody, everyone in there. Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. In other words, they're, they're talking and he shows up. Boo! What? Jesus, peace be with you. Out of the building shows up. I love that. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see I have. This is the part of another gospel where Thomas is like touching him and stuff. He's getting all crazy. And he's like, I believe. The spiritual state of the followers were described as troubled and full of doubt. Two things that definitely kill your faith. You want faith killers? Is troubled and doubt. I mean, it's really weird to see someone you saw saw alive be knowing he died, and it's kind of weird if you ask me a little bit. If I'm honest, it's a little strange. but Jesus told them this would happen. He told them this was going to happen. But for some reason, they just couldn't hear. These are convictions inhibitors. Someone told me that in this church. If you stuff them in your ear hard enough, you can't hear anything. Sometimes this reflects our hearts. Sometimes it's really not our ears, it's just our hearts. And it seems that for the disciples, they had a hard time allowing the word to really seep into that soil that Jesus talks about in the parable. And you just couldn't believe it. What happened? And that brings us to a question for us as a church Jesus is mission loving. How is your mission love going? How are you doing? Gee, why are you asking these questions? Because we're six months into it. How are you doing? Is your, are you breaking bread with others? Are you spending time with others? Are you mission-loving others? You know, this is not just a philosophy of our church. We want it to be the conviction of our church. We don't, we don't want to, you know, have conviction inhibitors. We want to really embrace mission love. So in verse 40, it says, when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, I like that. It's interesting. I'm so happy. I don't believe you. I'm so excited. It's really not you. I'm so amazed. It can't be Jesus. It says because they were so excited, they just couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that he was back in a glorified body that that Paul talks about later in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he goes, okay, give me, because they thought, you know, they saw a ghost. He goes, give me something to eat. Do you have anything? And they, they had a piece of broiled fish. I don't know how long it was laying around. But there was a piece of fish laying around in the room somewhere, and they brought the fish to Jesus. And I guess he ate it in their presence. Sort of gross, but that's what the Lord did. He's a man. Jesus was doing something very important here. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a hallucination. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He's doing something very important here. He's actually showing them, one, his spiritual body, two, it's in a physical form, and three, he can eat because he has just asked these guys, he's going to be asking them to go to the ends of the earth. To go where the gospel has not gone before. And many of them will see a terrible death. So he's doing something very important here. He's showing them the proof beyond any doubt that he rose from the dead. And if you can see that in live, in person, that fills you with a certain conviction. And Luke is making sure that the readers know that it's really him. He's trying to reassure the readers, this is the history. This really happened. This is why these apostles, they, they basically went out to a death sentence. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he ate a piece of old fish. He's real. Now, this is really cool. This really explains the, the apostles' convictions. Then he says to them, because you know they have these inhibitors on. They, they still don't. are like, what is going on? Why can't you know? We read the Bible and we're like, what's wrong with these people? What, what's wrong with you? I mean, we, we I kind of get critical. Like, what is the matter with these? You know, I have the I have the I have the, the the privilege of looking at it many years later, written theologians writing stuff. You know, they didn't. So he said to them, "This is what I told you while I was still with you." Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. You know, back in the Gospel of John, he tells the Pharisees this very same thing. But they didn't get it either. He told the Pharisees in John uh, chapter 5, verse 39, he says, Everything about the Old Testament is written about me, to testify about me. Everything is about me. I'm the Messiah. And they didn't get it. These are the teachers of the Bible. Imagine fishermen. So, okay, I'll give him some grace. But how well do you know your Bible? Now that you have the privilege of looking back at it all these years later with all this kind of information, how well do you know your Old Testament, your New Testament? Because I'm afraid if you don't know it, you'll end up with conviction inhibitors you won't have the convictions that you think you have in the moment you need them. And we miss it. And we become like them, like, you've been going to church for 20 years, and, and you just list it off. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. It's important for us all to know our Bibles. It's important for you not to wait till Sunday to get fed spiritually. It's important because... You need it during the week. Am I saying every day? I'm not trying to be legalistic. Don't get me wrong. But if you can, do it. It's a relationship. If you can, not okay. But that's it's something we should strive for. Because when you fill your heart with that, mission love becomes more clear. It just becomes more clear. So this is pretty cool. So on the very next sentence of, the, of, this, of this narrative, or this gospel... He writes, this is an interesting, interesting thing that happens. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You know, I read that and I still go, what does that mean? I'm thumbing through the commentaries. I'm trying to find, whoa, who has the answer? Didn't find a good enough answer to tell you. But here's what I thought about. Sometimes I can have preconceived notions about who Jesus is. And it takes someone opening my mind by reminding me of the scriptures of what Jesus really is. I can have preconceived notions. You might be sitting here with preconceived notions. Let me share a little story with you. I had preconceived notions about how to handle pain in my life. You know how I handle pain? I stuff that pain so deep into the abyss it never rises again. I just stuff it. And I move on, because that's what soldiers do. That's what we do. We don't grieve. It's for sissies. It's for the women, preconceived notions. I took this recovery course about grief. This was never mentioned in the grief recovery. But you know what opened my mind? The strongest man I know is Jesus. And he wept for his friend Lazarus. And he cried for the people and their spiritual state. Jesus was a griever. And what I learned about myself, my preconceived notion, my preconceived ideas on how to handle and respond in a healthy way to loss. I am profoundly grateful for the grief recovery ministry. I would never, I used to avoid saying that word for years. But I'm profoundly grateful for a ministry like that. I think what Jessica O'Connor has brought to our churches, she is one of the most inspiring women I know. She is amazing. And I learned something. I learned that I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I found that my relationship with God, it just blew open more doors. My kids were freaked out. I was crying at the kitchen table, and my my son's like, what's happened to dad? They were scared to go in the kitchen. and I'm just sharing with my daughter things and I just started crying, and she's like, what is happening? But it, it's brought us so much more closer. They're like, dad, we have never seen you cry. I, said, I cried once, I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't, that no, wasn't a cry. They're like, That's a cry. And my son responded a week later. I was going to class, I was getting my book, I was getting my folder. I'm going to class. I said, Dad, where are you going? Grief recovery. He goes, don't come back soft. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and then I sat him down. I said, son, you don't want me hard. You don't want me hard. You want me soft. You don't want me hard. And he was like, yeah, it's, you're probably right. I had to remind him, like, his mind was being blocked. He had conviction inhibitors. I had to tell him, you want me soft. I'm more genuine, loving when I'm soft and tender. But I'm trying to teach him to be a warrior with a tender heart. That's what men need to be raised of, warriors, but with the tenderness. And so he opens her mind up, which I love, and I just wanted to share that with you because I think we have preconceived notions too. Yeah. We, the church, of what mission love might be, what it really is, or what grief is, or what sharing your faith is, or what loving people is, or who Jesus is. This is why it's so important to know and read your Bibles. And then, something really cool happens. He tells them to wait with power that's going to come. So this is where the, Luke ends and the book of Acts overlaps, because that's where the book of Acts starts. It, get, it fills in a little bit of the gaps between the ending of Luke and the beginning of Acts. There's a, there's a beautiful overlap that Luke does. So that's why it's important to read volume one and volume two together. So he says this. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, um, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So, great overlap. And I, what, what Luke ends here, throughout the gospel, if you read the Luke, Luke gospel, he, he's a prophet, because, you know, just like Elijah was taken up, Jesus is taken up. He's a priest, he's blessing, and he's a Messiah, because he resurrected so Luke's tying in a lot of stuff here at the end, because he's about to write volume two, and it overlaps. Why is this important to you? Why should you know this? I believe the reason you should know this is because some of us are stuck. We, get, we just get stuck. So this is to help you get unstuck. You come to church, and you come to church, and you don't, you don't really, do, it's all you do, you just come to church. And sometimes you can get stuck just coming to church. This us just try to unstuck us. So for others, it's to un, un, just to unglue you so you can turn and mission love others. Sometimes we have this attitude that we need mission, we want people to mission love us. All right? It's okay to feel that once in a while. It shouldn't be the dominant attitude, but sometimes it is. That's when you know you're stuck. Why aren't people mission-loving me? Well, we're we're disciples. We're supposed to mission-love others, right? right? And sometimes we just get stuck because we've been in the church for 25, 30 years, and we have preconceived notions. This is another program that Gio and Joe are doing and we don't we don't believe it or buy into it we just are going along by sitting here on sunday if i sit here on sunday and write a missions check i'm all good no we're past that we want something greater for you joe and i want something for you we don't want some, we don't want something from you we want something for you Amen. we want you to experience life to the full and this gospel of luke in the book of acts is hopefully going to inspire you this is my intro sermon ...to this book because it's such a fascinating book. Tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to regret, I told you this... ...because I'm going to feel like I should have have told you something else. But that's the life of ministers. And hopefully I'll get invited back to do another series. It's important for us to be grounded in the Word of God. And they stayed together continually at the temple praising God, worshiping God. It's profoundly important that we as Christians... Are in, the, are in the spiritual habit of praising God the Father, in a spiritual habit. If you're stuck and you haven't been doing that, this lesson today is to hopefully to unstick you and move you in the right direction as we look at the book of Acts, volume 2, the sequel to the gospel of Luke, to show you what God is, can do and will do in your life, in my life, and in the life of the church Thank you so much for your time. Have a great rest of the afternoon, and I'll pray for the service to close. God, thank you for this amazing account of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and uh, to know that it's just a combined effort to really paint the picture of the transition of the history of the church for people like us. Uh, For Luke and all the things he wrote about, we're so thankful for his diligence, for his ability to write, and for the Holy Spirit to guide him. We pray and we leave here this morning filled with your spirit, filled with love, and filled with a renewed vision of loving our generation and saving our generation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.